You get the people who really know and you put them in a place where they can help you. And then once they've done that, you keep them as a resource until they help you embed that in the organization, whether that's people, processes, systems, whatever it is, use those resources. You may think that it's costing a lot of money, but at the end of the day, all you just did was jump from an area where you were working 50, 60 hours a week. Now you may save 10 hours a week because you're not doing that anymore. And those hours can be put toward other things. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And today I have a return guest, Brian Miller from Outback Deck from the Atlanta market. He is Brian with a Y. I am Brian with an I. Hopefully we'll be able to keep that the Brian's straight as we go as we go through here. Brian and his partner John have done some pretty incredible things in their business over the last few years. I'd say the last 3 or 4 years. And John was just recently at our profit workshop, not John, Brian was at our profit workshop recently. And I got an update on everything that they've done. And as he's talking, I'm like, oh my God, we got to, you know, we got to share this story because it really is a fantastic, fantastic story about these guys and, and what they've done in the business. So Brian, welcome. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. So for those that are watching this on video, they could see where Brian is. You want to tell everybody kind of where you're at and why you're there, like you just told me? Right. So I'm sitting on my custom back porch that we did a couple of years ago. It's full of lots of outdoor living products that we represent here in the market. So nice decking materials and nice uh, enclosures a fireplace, some television and surround sound, things like that. And I'm staring out at the backyard at our outdoor kitchen and uh, and our pool area back there. So in Atlanta, this time of year, it's always beautiful weather. So it's in the 70s with very little humidity. That's not normal for Atlanta, much like South Florida. So yeah. it's nice to be able to sit out here and enjoy and, and do some work. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you guys, by the way, do you do lo- low voltage lighting? We do actually, and most of our deck systems in our rails have low voltage in the stairs, et cetera, to meet some of the code. So we do a fair amount of that. We're not really out there sort of trying to sell it in your yard or around yeah. your landscaping, right? But with, with deck and outdoor living, we do that all the time. The, the reason I ask is because my backyard, which we redid, as you know, with the big remodel, had a great guy come out, set up a great night lighting system for us in the back. And it's on the phone with the app and all of that. I cannot get this guy to come back and do more work. I've texted him. I called (laughs) him and I cannot get this guy to come. I have more work. I need to do the front. I need to redo the front. I need to. Anyway, you know how it is. So before we jump in here, you and John were on the podcast 
sometime back. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but do me a favor, just give everybody the 60 second version of your story. And then we'll jump into the, what I wanted to cover with you today. Sure. So collectively, John and I have, you know, close to 65 years in the industry. He was in the siding business for a lot of years and I was in the remodeling and outdoor living business. We were in a networking group together and we read an article back at that time about two guys that were competitors in Philadelphia that sold windows. And the one guy had a great delivery and production systems, but wasn't great at selling. And the other guy was a master at marketing and sales and had a terrible delivery system in terms of being able to turn what they killed and dragged back into, you know, something you could eat, right? So profit is profit. And, and so they merged their companies and within a five-year period of time, they went from each being about $2 million companies to being a $15 million business. We thought that was intriguing and we were competing a little bit against each other. And he needed some office space and I needed some hands. Um, I had injured my leg pretty severely. And so he moved into the office and the rest is history. Right, as they say. So we've had the companies together now 11 years. The primary focus is deck and outdoor living. We still have window and door small business, and we still have a remodeling small business, but probably about 90, 95% of what we're doing now is in deck and outdoor living. And we've been able to figure out the secret sauce here and, and turn that into a really profitable, well-run and well-organized machine. So it's a good thing. Cool. Okay. So that all sounds great. To give everybody a little bit of perspective, what does the business look like today? Just share whatever you're comfortable with, just to give us a sense of what the business looks like today. Sure. So the business today is trending $8 million in revenue. We run gross profit numbers in the low to mid 50s. And of course, like most profitable companies that hang out around Brian and the wealthy contractor, our target is always 20% net or better. We are trending toward that this year. We need some things to fall in place in the fourth quarter to get there. But most of that has to do with the ups and downs of what we've seen with lumber. So if you guys have been watching what's happened, we, we got smacked pretty heavy in the, in the two mid quarters here with just the way lumber was jumping around. And, um, and so we've done a good job of, of working through that. The interesting thing is if you look at our numbers from 2020 to 2021, and you remove the PPP help that we received, we actually are 50% up in profitability this year over last year. Wow. So we've seen a really significant, everything that we put in place has really made a significant impact on, on where we are as a business. And our compound annual growth rate, which typically is in the mid twenties is back, back in that range again. Right. So we're, we're looking to try to grow the business every year by a minimum of 22% compounding. So, you know, we're on, we're on target for that. Beautiful. So let's go back a few years I don't remember if that's when we first met was three or four years ago, or I don't know. I got to know you guys really well. I would say it was about three or four years ago. You had a good business. 
You and John work really, really well together. In fact, that's what we did the first podcast on was all about this idea of, like you said, you have a production guy, somebody that can really go and get the work done. You've got a sales and marketing guy who really understands how to get leads and convert those leads into sales. You put that combination together. And if they, you know, love and respect each other, like you and John do, you got a potentially really, really good thing brewing there. And that's what you guys did. But it was rough. It was, you guys were working really hard, long hours. You were trying to, there were certain things you guys were trying to figure out in the business and slowly, but I wouldn't even say slowly. I mean, pretty quickly within a matter of three years in a pretty turbulent time, you guys have managed to, you know, create a business that from what I understand, you guys don't even really need to be there all day, every day anymore. Is, is that right? Sure. So, Brian, you know, when we met you four years ago, we were a three and a half to $4 million business. We were, you know, running a 10% net profit, which wasn't bad considering, right. you know, we were really just learning. And um, we didn't really have any kind of an executive team or leadership team in place. You know, I was managing sales with a couple of sales guys and John was managing production with a couple of production guys. And, and we were in it, like you said, you know, back in the day, we had this philosophy of be in it to win it. And so we were all in and, uh, you know, that meant 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, a lot of times and burning it at both ends to try to make ends meet. And, and we weren't at that point behaving like owners, we were behaving like operators, right? So we weren't paying ourselves commissions because we were trying to reinvest all those dollars in the company. And, you know, we were, we were getting by and we were doing well, but that was not the business that either of us really wanted to have. Yeah. I I'm just writing some things down because I want to circle back to a couple of things. So behaving like owners, that was a real, that's a really good way to say that and behaving versus behaving like an operator. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means to you or what that actually looks like? Yeah, so it took a a bit of coaching and sort of ongoing personal development to recognize that there's a difference between being an operator of a business and being an owner of a business. And, um, And for me, and I think also for John, what that means is, you know, the owners are investors in the company and we have specific strategic roles that we play in the business. I'm a visionary, right? John's an implementer. You know, he can integrate things, right? I can do some of those things, but we've determined our strengths and our weaknesses as investors, right? As the guys who are, our main role in the business is to see forward and help set a pathway and then put people in place to get their operators. They have some of those skills, but in general, they, they, they fall into one of two categories, controlitis. They don't want to release it. They don't think they can release it. Right. Or number two, they just don't know that there's another way there's another path. And so I would suggest that, you know, all, all owners typically have a little bit of controlitis, the degree to which we can work through that in our own lives and trust people and begin to relinquish some of that, the, the better off we are as, as business owners. But more importantly, recognizing that there is another way to operate the company, that 
that you don't have to be the main person that does everything. You don't have to wear all the hats. You, you can make good decisions and choices and, and you can begin to invest in people. And so part of what happened with us is we, we were in a situation where we just needed help. We needed more project guys and we needed more sales guys. And we recognized pretty quickly that we were not HR gurus. And so we, we went and found someone who could really help us with that. And we implemented their system. And when we started to do that, we began to realize, hey, if we're going to hire these kinds of people, let's try to identify the, the next level up person and see if we can afford to hire that person, right? And, and we can't, that came to be known in our company by a phrase that we use often called cut the curve. So a lot of times we, we tend to do things and we think, hey, there's only one way to get there, right? Well, if you don't know the answer to a particular problem in the business, someone out there does. The best thing that you can do as an owner is identify who that person is and then pay them to help you. A great example, you know, we sat through your session a couple of years back and then we said, hey, Brian, we really want our team to know how to really implement this system of reviews. So we brought you into Atlanta and we had you do a session for us, right? And I think you remember that. My whole team was there. That's how you cut the curve. You get the people who really know and you put them in a place where they can help you. And then once they've done that, you keep them as a resource until they help you embed that in the organization, whether that's people, processes, systems, whatever it is, use those resources. You may think that it's costing a lot of money, but at the end of the day, all you just did was jump from an area where you were working 50, 60 hours a week. Now you may save 10 hours a week because you're not doing that anymore. And those hours can be put toward other things. The value that you bring to the table as an owner is much higher than what you might have just paid to get that service offering in place or to get that system in place, right? So cutting the curve is a big deal. I love that because said another way, another way that I could say cutting the curve is you buy yourself, first off, you buy yourself a skill set or a mindset or a, an actual process or something, you just buy it right away instead of trying to figure it all out. Right. Number one. Number two, what you just described is you also not only did you get a temporary benefit from bringing people in, but you figured out a way is how do I leverage this now? So how do I take this piece and instead of it just being this little piece that's going to last for a day or two, how do I now take this piece and construct it and embed it, your, your word, embed it into the organization so now it gives us this new leverage where it's, I'm not going to have to do this thing that I was doing for an hour or two a week or an hour or two a month, whatever the number was, now that's eliminated. Will you eliminate a few of those out of your schedule? And pretty soon, right, you've cut out, you said 50, 60 hours a week, you've cut 30 hours, half your time out of the business. That's right. right. Very smart. I love that. I didn't know that about that. You guys called it cut the curve. Yeah, cut the curve. And and so, you know, just to give you a, a sense, right, when we met you, we were we were probably collectively working 140 to 160 hours a week in the business. 
not on the business, but in the business, right? And and we, you, you know us, we're tireless guys. I mean, we love talking business and we'll sit up to late doing that because we just love it. We love the yeah. business and we love, you know, being a part of this industry and we love sharing it with people. So we'll do that. But at the end of the day, I'm not getting any younger and my time is really valuable. So, you know, how do we then take that idea of cutting the curve and turn it into time that we can invest in the most important things in our life. And, and we want those things to be whatever it is that we choose, you know, and I, I think about your, your four quadrants and some of the things that we've done in the past working with you and how do we evaluate where we're going to put our time, right? The most valuable asset that we have as owners is not our leadership. It is not our ideas. It is not our finances. It is our time. That is the most valuable asset we have. And it's the one thing that we cannot create any more of. Right. It is how well we utilize the time that is going to get us the results that we receive. Not the result we deserve, but the results that we should receive, right? We, the more we invest our time in the most important things, the better off the results typically are. And what we've now learned is, you know what? I have a guy running production who's far better at running production than I ever was. And he can do more and he can see more and he can affect more because that's his only job. Right. But he will never grow into what I need him to become unless I also invest in him my time, John's time to make him a better strategist, to make him a better manager of his time, a master of his time. To, to help develop his leadership skills so that he can begin to create bench strength in his department and replicate himself. If he replicates himself well, he drives himself up in the company and the company continues to grow organically. So now what we're recognizing is while we also still pay to cut the curve, we need to invest in our team and our leaders to help them develop personally and professionally as leaders, because when we do that, organically, the organization grows, right? So it's a little bit of the concept of, hey, you can home grow your leaders, right? Hey, you need to grow as a leader yourself. You need to be committed to that personally, but then you also need to invest in the people around you so that they can grow. Identify the grow players in your business and invest in them. Identify the role players in your business and invest in them. If you're not a grow player, you're not a role player, then you probably aren't going to be on the team, right? So identify those people. Some people are going to play a role and that's what they want, right? Other people are going to want to grow and want to help grow the organization. And that's what they want, right? Find out what makes people tick and invest in that with your people. This episode is brought to you by Business Success Consulting Group. Does the way your business currently operate prevent you from scaling and growing? Is the most valuable knowledge in your organization held by just a handful of key personnel? Are you spending valuable time training your teams instead of running your business? Business Success Consulting Group understands the challenges of organizing while you grow, and they specialize in putting order into the chaos of an expanding organization. Adi and her team at BSCG work closely with you and your team to capture vital business knowledge and then they help you develop 
document, optimize, and implement systems and processes across every area of your organization, from sales and operations to marketing, human resources, and business development. Adi and her team have decades of experience and will help you empower your teams to function effectively with reproducible results that will set your business up for continual success and expansion. Schedule your free consultation today by calling or texting 503-662-2911. What great advice. I, I hadn't heard that before. You have the, the grow players and you have the role players. And that's really interesting. I love that. It's almost like these are the people that really want to be with us and they want to grow with us. And then these are the people that are just here. They have a skill. We need that skill. We pay for that skill, but we kind of know that, you know, they could come and go, but that's really, really and really that's what they want. Right. Brian. I mean, listen, if you are a role player, right. And, and, you know, you may be an accounting person and you may be in the accounting department and you may absolutely love AR and AP. You live to enter invoices and to see things balance. And that is just what makes you tick. And that's all you really want. You don't want to have to teach somebody else how to do it. You don't. I need you in that seat in the business, right? It's a, you belong on this bus and you are in the right seat, right? The EOS mantra, right? It's the right person in the right seat on the right bus that really gets the greatest result. In some way, some of those people may only be role players. They, They may not want to be a manager. They may not want to take on more. They may just love doing what they're doing and they're going to do that their whole career. That's who they are. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They probably never leave if they're happy doing what they're doing, right? Yeah. Grow players, they're going to want more. They're going to want to be challenged. They're going to they're gonna want to learn. They're, they're, they're looking at it differently. They want to invest in people. They want to invest in themselves. They want to keep the organization going in the right direction. And they want a part of that. They want to be a part of the growth of it. They're motivated by different things. We need both in our company. Right? You, you will never find a great company that doesn't have both role players and grow players, right? Yeah. Identifying those people as leaders and as business owners is what really helps us to transition out of being an operator mindset to an owner mindset, right? We have to own our own, our own personality, our own self, right? Our own issues, controlitis or whatever it is. We need to help other people look and see those things. We need to remove barriers as owners so that people can self-actualize, whether that's in grow, whether that's in roll, whatever that might be. Create pathways for people in your organization. Be a great leader by investing in other people and help them learn how to grow personally and professionally. When we do that, the organization grows. Interesting. Really, really good. And nowadays, you know, especially when getting to your size and where you're going, I mean, you're going to be at... 10 million pretty soon, you really start to, to become a people development company because you're only going to go so far as the operator. You're only going to go so far. And so that's really great. So I want to go back. Let's go back to you know three or four years ago. Look, you guys, you were doing 10%. You were working too much, but you guys had to like make some decisions of this is not what we want. We want something 
different. So do you remember or, or can you think about what are some of those decisions you guys had to make, you know, like personally to say, okay, we want to go to this next level? Yeah, I, I mean, it all started with a book called Build a Business, Not a Job. David Finkel wrote, it's a great book if you're interested in, in having a more of a business builder mindset versus an owner-operator mindset. It's, it's a great book to read. And then we began to recognize, listen, the first thing I think that you have to do or that I had to do, I'll just make it first person, right? The first thing I had to do is I had to change my mindset, right? I had to recognize that I am capable of learning and growing into a business owner, right? Stop believing that I'm not able to do that. Stop believing what I was told as a kid growing up. Ah, you'll never amount to be anything. Ah, you don't want to run your own business. Ah, you should just go work for somebody, right? All those things, the tapes that play in our minds, I think we need to make a choice at some point that it can be different. And we need to create a belief system around that, right? That, that we can live by, right? And, you know, for me, I know which side my bread is buttered on. I know who I am as a person. I know what I'm called for and what I'm called to. And I know how I'm supposed to walk that out in my life. And the business is just a part of that mission in my life. So I already had those belief systems in place. But what I didn't have was this idea or this belief system that, that I could push through the fear of, of not knowing, the fear of having to learn accounting and how to do QuickBooks and the fear of, you know, what happens if we run out of money or if I employ all these people and something bad happens, all, all the fear that surrounds those things. I, I think we need to come to terms with the fears that we have as business owners and wrestle with those things and be willing to push them aside, jump past them, lay them down, whatever it is that you need to do to get beyond that so you can really see what's in front of you. So, you know, we need to make personal changes and we need to manage through that. I think on the other side of that, we were committed to success. So we build a business plan every single year and then we work with the team to ensure that there's buy-in there. And then we all go after that with a degree of reckless abandon, right? We just, we aren't, we're dogs with the bone. We're not going to let go. We're going to get there and we're going to do it profitably. And everyone is aligned with that and committed with that. So we, not only do we make a choice, it's not enough to just make the choice. Now you need to take action. So we got to a place with the business where we said, we're going to make a choice that we're going to be independent owners, that the business can run without us. At some point, this company is going to run with John and I not involved. We're just board members. We're investors, right? That was the goal. Now we're going to take action. What's the first step? What's the second step? What's the third step, right? And you begin to build some momentum, right? And if you've read Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about the flywheel and what it takes to get the flywheel really moving and get momentum behind it. And over time, as we continue to press in on that, it starts to move on its own and it gets its own momentum and then you can't really stop it. So those decisions and choices that we're making as we're going along that continuum are what really pushes pressure on the flywheel. In our organization, that meant developing leadership and giving things to the leaders and entrusting them with parts of the organization 
and then supporting them through that, through the hard times and the failures, through the successes and the growth, right? We're there, we're walking it out together, but we're entrusting it to you because we know that if we do it together collectively, we can get more accomplished than if we just do it ourselves, right? So, you know, make a choice personally, put that choice to action, be the dog with the bone, don't give up on those things, and then begin to invest in developing leaders in your organization who can take pieces of what you do every day and do it better than you, and slowly but surely relinquish some of that control and you'll work your way to where we are today. John, probably still working a little bit more than I am. I average 18 to 22 hours a week. I think he's, he's probably averaging about five or six more hours a week than that. We're still very active in the organization. Our presence is there. When we're in the building, people know we're there. People feel that, right? It, it, it makes sense, right? We're not yet at a point where we can we can just say, hey, the business can do without us, right? That, and, and we probably are never really interested in that because we love it, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's something we're passionate about. But the company could run right now for a month with neither of us there with very little contact. It could run for three months with neither of us there if we, if we set up, you know, a call every couple of weeks to just check in. So, you know, the goal is to be able to, to have the business run without us present and, and still grow, right? Yeah. So that, so that we can be owners, build vision, build value, find other ways to help the business grow and invest in it. And, and it can grow organically without our presence, right? So that's the ultimate objective. Yeah. Wow. That was a, a masterclass for you guys listening and you know, growing, growing a business and stepping out of that operator mindset into the owner mindset. And this, and this goes back to something that I learned, I don't know, I'd say seven or eight years ago was I really, really, really believe it's business is 90% mindset. It's 10% skill set. It's what you think about every day. It's what you believe every day that's ultimately going to determine where you go. And one of the things that's interesting is if I do the math properly, you and John, your income, your personal take-home income has likely almost quadrupled in the last three or four years, almost, maybe three times, four times. Well, you were doing pretty good to begin with. Now you're doing really, really good. One of the things that I think stands in people's way, especially when it comes to planning for profitability, like we were talking about a few weeks ago, is am I worth that much money? Do I deserve to make that much money? How did you reconcile that in your in your head because and sorry to cut you off because i think that that is the prerequisite for unlocking the ability to go from decent profit to really good profit right? sure sure yeah at the risk of sounding overly spiritual right i would say this right we know what we were made for and a big part of what we do in our business is philanthropy. And I think 
when you come at your business from the perspective of this business has a mission and it's a ministry, right? It's meeting the needs of the community. It's meeting the needs of the consumer. It's meeting the needs of us, the employees and the people who work there. Then you create a different mindset, right? You, we do not exist for John and Brian to get rich. That's just not why we exist. We exist to meet the needs of the community and serve people well. The best way to do that is to build a business that has real value and makes real money. The more money we make, the more money we can give. The more money we make, the more, we, the more people we can hire. The more money we make, the more consumers we can serve. The more money we make, the more impact we make on the, com the community, right? It all is a service mindset. Right. We believe in servant leadership in the organization. And so we take that stuff very seriously when it comes to dollars and cents. We make great money. But what do we do with that money? Right. So we don't plan to just go and buy houses and boats and all. this. there's nothing wrong with that stuff. I don't have anything against any of those things. Right. But what I know is there are needs that only we can meet as an organization. Right. We partner with a couple of different organizations in town and they rely on us pretty heavily for the way that we give and the way that we partner with them and and how we help meet some of the needs of the community. And, and we like that. Right. And so I think because we're willing to give because we have a mindset of serving that that and we've proven that we can steward that in a really healthy manner, we get more. Yeah. So if I can just make a couple comments about what you just said, if I can give my take on what you just said, beautiful what you just said, but basically what you said was we have a very clear vision of how the success of our business is going to impact our lives. We're Correct. very clear about that. Okay. In your case, that also involves other people right? There is nothing wrong with of uh, Brian and John getting rich from the business. There's absolutely nothing wrong. With it. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to get rich from your business. This is my belief, okay? What you do with the money that you make is really up to you. What's beautiful, but the lesson to learn here is why, right? Why do you want to make more money? Do you want to go buy a house, Nothing wrong with that. You want a better life for your family. Nothing wrong with that. You want to put money away for retirement later. Great. Beautiful. Go do that. Right. But you have to be clear about what it is that you want. You got to be clear about why you want it, because that's the only reason you're going to go fight for it. Right. If that why is strong enough. Right. By the way, to the listener, is John's why strong? I mean, you can't, if you can't see his face, I can. And people watching this on video, when he speaks, he speaks very definitively. I mean, this is like, it's an important why for him. And it's, that's great, but that's unique to him. You know, he has his why doesn't have to, everybody's doesn't have to be the same, you know, but I think the clarity there and the why is, is just so important, which is by the way, that's the reason why I put that as secret number one in my book. Is like, you got to know what you want. You got to know right. how much money you want to make. You got to right. know why you want to make that money. 
just having this ideal of, oh, I'm going to sell $8 million a year. So. And, and we, I mean, I have some lofty goals. Listen, sitting at the profit yep. conference and filling out the, the documentation. I mean, you saw my numbers. I mean, I'm not afraid, you know, I have yep. a really hefty lofty goal there, but when you look at, the philanthropy piece of that, it's a significant piece of that, right? And I mean, that, again, for me, that's really important. It's yep. just a part of who I am and it's, and it motivates me, right? Yep. Because I know there isn't anybody else meeting that need right now. And I feel like I need to take ownership of that, yeah. right? And that's, and that's okay. Again, to your point, you know, I, I think I would caution the listener if your why is all about you, I want you to sit down this evening and really ponder that and think about that, right? Yeah. This business, this industry doesn't need takers. It needs people who know how to give and take. Yeah. And whether that is financially or whether that's with your time investing in the younger guys coming up who need to know and learn and grow whether that's doing video content, whether that's just having a phone conversation or meeting somebody at an event somewhere, the younger generation that we have in this industry, they don't know what we currently know. And, and you could be a big part of giving back to an industry that's really done well for you, right? And yeah. Listen, I, I'm living proof of standing on the shoulders of some of the greats, right? you know, the Charlie Gindels of the world, right? The, yeah. And th these guys are guys that invested in me, right? And, and the reason why we are in greater part where we are today is because those guys chose to make investments in us. I think it's important as an industry that we don't lose sight of that. Have the goals that you want, put them down on paper, but remember, give back. It's one of the most important things that we can do as, as great leaders is to ensure that the next generation sees us investing in them and giving back. Well, and so what's interesting about what you just said is that I believe everything you said 100%, the giving part of it is, so how do I want to say this? The giving part of it not only is a good thing to do, let's forget about it, like giving it a right or a wrong label. It's a very good thing to do because there are people that need our help, right? But it is a very significant wealth strategy too. The more you give, the more you seem to get back in terms of monetary gain and other psychological gains. But the other thing that you said about the people and about the, the, the customer and about the team is that we have to, we can't get, at least I haven't seen it yet. We can't get rich and successful without helping our people, like the people right around us. So right. it's, it's us, then to me, it's my family, then it's my business family, right? And then Absolutely. it's my customers and it goes out from there, right? That's right. So if I'm the only one that's benefiting from this, that that benefit isn't going to last very long. That's but true. if it radiates out, that's when you really start to hit the flywheel. That's when things really start to happen for you. When and it's funny that 
well, that's a whole nother conversation we can have about the selfishness of people that are don't charge enough, that aren't right. making money in their business. There's a selfishness to that. And, and they think that they're doing the right thing. And, oh, I, I can't charge that much. But it's selfish. It's like because of your issues, you're not giving the customer the value that they deserve. You're not paying your people enough to make a, a good wage, to buy a home, to, you know, to live their dreams. Anyway, we can go on and on about that. No, and, and, and this listen, this is, a, this is a spiritual principle, right? It's it is. Given, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you use, it will be measured to you. It doesn't matter whether that's financially giving to your church or an organization. Just what you said, Brian, it's also ensuring that you're paying a living and fair wage to your staff and investing in them and ensuring that they're growing and that they have opportunity. It's, it's not beating everybody up for every single cent that you can possibly get right. out of a subcontractor or out of a vendor. It's recognizing that without good partners, you can't survive. They also need to be profitable. And, and so it's, it's just realizing where the line is for every business. And as an owner, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your family, your business partner, and to your business, but you also have one to your vendor partners and to your subcontractors and your employees and to your family. And I mean, all of those things are things I think we have to learn to consider. That is a part of growing as an owner. That is an owner mentality, not an operator mentality, yeah. right? We don't live on the backs of other people. We stand on the shoulders of those who lift us up. Yeah. Beautifully said. Well, Brian, wow. You got to come back in a couple of years because in a couple of years, God, where are you going to be a couple of years from now? Because you guys have really built a strong foundation and, you know, I'm so excited to see your success and happy for you guys. And thank you so much for sharing. I mean, this was really, really valuable, the content that, that you shared. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brent. Thanks for having me again. I always love coming on and I love talking about business. So I know, I know we have fun. Yeah. We have fun talking about business. So one of the things I do want to do is I want to make sure that everybody listening is aware of our big event that's coming up in February, February 15th and 16th here in South Florida called Accelerate Live 2022. This is, I think, going to be our biggest event yet. We talk about all of the stuff that we were just talking about with, with Brian and much more. And if you are interested in learning more about that event, just go to accelerateevent.com. We'll put the information in the show notes, but it's accelerateevent.com and you'll get all of the information there. As we record this, more than a third of the seats are gone. We started registration kind of early this year, but uh, yeah, a third of the seats are gone. So we expect this one to sell out as well, but go check it out and see, and, you know, meet new people and new vendor relationships that could help you cut the curve. Like Brian said, going to events is a really, really great way to do that. So Brian, again, thank you. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to do this. 
And to everybody listening, until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian.